Welcome to the City on a Hill podcast. We are a Catholic young adult ministry located in Kansas City with a mission to be the community that inspires and forms our generation to be saints. Father Mattingly, director and chaplain of City on a Hill, is also an associate pastor at a local parish. Listen in to a recent Sunday homily of his and let it build you up in your pursuit of sainthood. Thanks for tuning in to this episode of City on a Hill. Our Lord appeared at least uh, four times on Easter Sunday itself to various groups of people and various individuals. He may have appeared more than four times, but those are the ones recorded in Scripture. On the, the morning of Easter Sunday, he, repeat, he appeared to some women, including Mary Magdalene, at the tomb. Later on, we're told that he appeared individually to Simon Peter. We're not given any details of that particular resurrection appearance, but it's mentioned very briefly. Later on in the evening, he appears to the two disciples on the way to Emmaus, and then once they return to Jerusalem, he appears to the apostles in the upper room on Easter Sunday night. And that appearance is recounted in both John and Luke's Gospel. Today we have Luke's version of it. And in both John and Luke's description of this appearance of our Lord in the upper room with the apostles, they, can't, they can hardly believe their eyes that, it, that it's actually Him, even though three <laughs> resurrection appearances had already occurred earlier in the day, which they themselves had, had heard about. Um, and so it's very interesting to note that the way Jesus goes about convincing them that it's really Him is that He commands them to both look, and look at and, and touch His wounds. He says, he says, look at my hands and my feet. In John, he also instructs them to look and touch his side, where the spear, you know, pierced his heart. He says, look at my wounds, touch my wounds, see that it is truly me. Right? See that it's, this, it's the same me who, who was crucified a few days ago. Here I am, resurrected. And this sort of combination, you might say, of like suffering and glory that we see in what we often call Jesus' glorified wounds. This, this, this mixture of, of kind of the light and glory and the victory of the resurrection shining through the symbols of Jesus' suffering, His wounds. This is a, a very, very important theme in, in the Christian life. One way that we see this played out, this mixture of suffering and glory is what we often call redemptive suffering. Redemptive suffering. Many of you are, are familiar with this phrase. I, I find that as I talk to people about this over the years, there's a lot of sort of confusion or questions about what, what does that actually mean? Like, what, what, is it, what does it look like for somebody to sort of allow themselves to experience redemptive suffering, to allow kind of the light of the risen Christ to manifest itself in and through the pain and suffering of this life. So I want to I key in this morning a little bit on, on this aspect of redemptive suffering, of, of how to suffer well, of how to sort of suffer in the light of the resurrection, because this is such a, a critical hallmark of what it means to be a follower of Jesus Christ. This is something that, that makes Christianity unique. 
uh, among worldviews and among world religions, that we believe that there can be something redeemed in the darkest parts of, of human experience, right? This idea of redemptive suffering. And not only is this obviously beneficial for ourselves when we're in the midst of suffering, but it's one of the most powerful witnesses to the world of the truth of our faith. Right? When people see another person suffer well, the, the, the influence that that can have on somebody's heart is enormous. Part of the reason the early church spread so quickly, and there are many reasons, but, but part of it was, was the witness of the martyrs who suffered well. Right? This redemptive suffering. Crowds would see them going to their torture and death, singing hymns of joy and, and thanksgiving to God. Right? Something that the, the world doesn't understand. And, and, and people would see that and say, wow, there is, there's something here. There's something here. This doesn't, in a human mode of thinking, this doesn't make sense. Why would you be singing hymns when you're about to go be tortured and killed? <laughs> right? So, so this idea of suffering well can have a profound influence on other people too. Um, for me, it was one of the most critical, if not the most critical, experiences in my sort of four-year-long high school gradual conversion was seeing somebody suffer well. And not only suffer well, but suffer with, with joy and a profound peace, something I'd, I'd never seen before. And, in, and in, intuitively, when, when we see that, we're like, wow, there's, <laughs> there's, something, there's something going on here beyond the surface. So I want to give you, briefly this morning, four, four ways that, that you can suffer well. Um, because I think this is, this is a, critical, a critical thing for us to get right. So... The first thing is, when we're in the midst of, of suffering and pain, is, is being very careful about how we speak about our suffering and pain. The first and most obvious thing is to not complain about it, right? When we're in the midst of suffering and pain, we have to do our best to not complain about it. Very, not, not a very easy thing to do, particularly when the, when the suffering is intense. St. Paul writes to the Philippians, he says, do all things without grumbling, that you may be blameless and innocent, children of God, without reproach. So we need to not complain. Uh, on sort of a, a flip side, we need to be very cognizant and aware of the, of the times in which we do speak about our suffering. They should be very few. Right? We should only speak to others about our suffering and pain in as much as we need to. And there are times when we need to do this, where we need to confide in a spouse, in a close friend, in a spiritual director, in someone to sort of share the pain and suffering that we're going through and to receive some consolation from them. But often we, we share our sufferings and pain with, with far too many people when we sort of, we just sort of blab about it to the, to the world, you know? And, and that's not, it's not helpful. It usually makes it worse for us, right? <laughs> the more we talk about how terrible our suffering is, the worse it actually feels, right? It, it ends up not really helping us in the end. The key here is, is to, to suffer kind of in a, in a hidden way in the sight of God alone and to be content that, that God, my Father who loves me, that He sees me and, and that's enough for me, right? To say, Lord, I, I know that You love me you see my suffering, 
you want to come down and, and, and unite yourself to me in this pain and suffering, and that's enough for me. It's enough that, that you see me. I'm content with that. I don't need to, to blab about it um, to the world, right? Mother Teresa is a good example of this. Many people were shocked when she died. And these different letters of hers were released that she would write to her spiritual directors. And it came to light that for a vast period of her life, perhaps as long as 40 or 50 years, she was in what's often called uh, the dark night of the spirit, sort of a, a purification that the Lord will bring all of us through if, if we're generous enough with His grace. But a period of intense suffering for decades and decades. And, and everybody was shocked when they found this out after she died because she never told anyone about this other than her spiritual directors. She was content with God, her Father, knowing that she was going through this. But what she portrayed on the outside was constant joy, cheerfulness, smiling, right? And, and some people would sort of look at this and, and they might think, but it seems a bit hypocritical. She's just sort of faking it, right? If she, if, she didn't, if she was going through intense inner suffering and yet was smiling on the outside, is that sort of like a, a hypocritical kind of fake it till you make it kind of thing? <laughs> um, but it's not at all. It's, it's just pure charity and love, right? Real love smiles and is cheerful even when we don't feel like it on the inside. Mother Teresa is a great example of, of this principle that to suffer well, we have to be very, very aware of, of with whom and in what context we speak about our, our pain and suffering. A second thing to help us suffer well is that when we're in the midst of suffering, our temptation is to turn completely inwards, to become completely occupied both in thought and action with ourselves. And this is understandable, right? But one way to suffer well is to really push ourselves to take an active interest both in thought and in action when possible on those around us in the midst of suffering, right? Um, this is a, a very profound thing to witness when you see it in someone. You know, as a priest, you visit a lot of people in hospitals and nursing homes, people who are dying. and. Um, very, very rarely, only on a handful of occasions, have I I've visited somebody who's in great pain or suffering, or they're sort of in the last stages of their life, who in the course of the conversation flips it around on me and begins asking me questions about my life, right? <laughs> only on maybe a, a small handful of occasions have I experienced that, and it always catches me off guard, because I'm, I'm there and I'm sort of ready to listen to them and ask them questions about how they're doing and offer some words of comfort or consolation, and then all of a sudden, they flip it around and like, tell me about your life, Father. <laughs> and and it, oftentimes, I, it takes like a few seconds to sort of catch myself, I'm like, whoa, 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 like this, what's happening? <laughs> what's happening right now? And, and it, seeing that, I remember the first time it happened and I was just, I was so profoundly struck by it, I was like, wow, this, this person really loves, like, <laughs> and they really know how to suffer well. They don't, they don't use it as an excuse to turn inwards, which is so easy. Um, but they still have this, this outward perspective. Um, a good example of that, some of you might be familiar with the life of this young Italian girl who died in 1990 at age 18. Uh, Blessed Chiara Luce Badano is her name. 
and she had a very painful bone cancer from ages 16 to 18 and eventually succumbed uh, to that. And her witness in the last year or so of her life in terms of living for other people, even though she was in intense pain, is something that all of those around her never forgot. When she would be in the hospital, even though it was very painful for her, she would, she would get up the strength to go on walks with another patient who was suffering from like a deep depression about, about life. And she would, she would offer up that pain and just say, well, I'm gonna, I'm gonna give what I have, <laughs> which isn't much, but I'm gonna give what I have for this person. Um, and one of, one of her friends remarked that early on when she was in the hospital, one of her friends said, at first we thought we'd visit her to keep her spirits up, uh, but very soon we understood that in fact we were the ones who needed her, right? <laughs> so you go to visit her in the hospital thinking that they would be the ones to cheer her up when in fact the, the opposite would normally happen. So in the midst of suffering, we have to, we have to really do our best to focus outwards on other people as much as is possible. Again, we need like, I don't, I don't want to say you shouldn't talk about or, or, or seek consolation from those close to you, like that just has to be done carefully um, and we need to maintain this outward focus as much as we can. The third thing I want to offer you is to, to offer up your sufferings for others, for the good of the church. Many saints will point out that um, suffering that is not offered to the Lord is potentially the greatest waste in the world. And we talk about wasting physical things, but you can waste spiritual things as well. And suffering is, is first and foremost among them. We should never allow even like a stub toe to pass by without like offering that uh, to the Lord for, for the good of the church to, to draw down graces. Offered suffering is, is very, very powerful. St. Paul writes to Colossians, he says, Now I, I rejoice in my sufferings for your sake. Rejoice in my sufferings for your sake. John Paul II had an encyclical that he wrote, or sorry, an apostolic letter in the 1980s on the topic of suffering. Not many people know about it. Um, it's called Salvifici Dolores, but I, I highly, highly recommend it. Um, it's a profound sort of diving into the mystery of human suffering. And one of the things he talks about in a section is that often those undergoing intense suffering feel very useless, right? They want, they want to feel like they can contribute something to the world, to the church, to others, but they often feel useless. And, and when somebody gets trapped in a, in a feeling of uselessness, it can, it can quickly descend into, into a kind of depression and despair. And so he talks about how important it is that those in the midst of suffering recognize that they're the most useful people to God in a way. Right? There's, there's no more useful person in the church than somebody who's just afflicted with suffering if, if they offer that to the Lord. If they offer it to the Lord. I just want to read you a little section of what he says. He says, a source of joy is found in the overcoming of the sense of the uselessness of suffering, a feeling that is sometimes very strongly rooted. This not only consumes the person interiorly, but seems to make him a burden to others. The person feels condemned to receive help and assistance from others, and at the same time seems useless to himself. The discovery of the salvific meaning of suffering in union with Christ transforms this depressing feeling. 
Faith in sharing in the suffering of Christ brings with it the interior certainty that the suffering person completes what is lacking in Christ's afflictions, quoting St. Paul. The certainty that in the spiritual dimension of the word of redemption, he is serving, like Christ, the salvation of his brothers and sisters. Therefore, he is carrying out an irreplaceable service. Irreplaceable service. Every saint you run across, whenever they would encounter somebody in the midst of great suffering, they would, they would always ask for their prayers. Always. Like they, <laughs> they never let that opportunity pass. Hey, would you offer this up for me? Would you offer this up for some intention? Would you offer this up for this, that, and the other thing? Right? Should never, ever waste our suffering. It is a treasure. We, we can draw, you have no idea the graces that can be drawn down from God for the good of the church on other souls in offering up our suffering. We should never feel like we are useless or a burden in the midst of suffering. We are the most useful members of the church in those moments. Maybe one simple example of this, somebody I met years ago was afflicted in her teenage years um, with really, really intense uh, rheumatoid arthritis such that became very difficult to walk at a very young age and, and it's just sort of very painful and uh, she's maybe, I don't know, in her 40s now and uh, she decided at a certain point that at the start of the new year she would, she would just basically offer the whole year ahead for some intention and all of her pain for that year would be for this person or, or that intention. So every year on January 1st she, she thinks of someone and says, okay, okay Lord, this year is for for so and so, when the pain becomes physically intense, she always has that person in mind. This is what it means to, to, to suffer well and to offer up our sufferings to the Lord. The last thing I'll, I'll mention to you very, very briefly is just that we have to make a special effort in the midst of suffering and pain to, to smile and to be cheerful and joyful and, and full of hope, right? And full of hope. Um, again, Chiara Lucia Vedano is a great example of this. Her friends visit her and they leave feeling more refreshed <laughs> after visiting somebody who's dying of a, of a painful, painful cancer. Uh, I'll leave you with just a quote that she said towards the end of her life that kind of just gives a little taste of, of what, it, what it looks like to have hope and, and joy and cheerfulness in the midst of suffering. She said to, to one of her friends, she said, at this point, I have nothing left. But I still have my heart, and with that, I can always love. At this point, I have nothing left, but I still have my heart, and with that, I can always love. Thank you for tuning in to this episode of the City on a Hill podcast. Please subscribe so you don't miss any future episodes, and leave a review so others will come across our content. If City on a Hill has been a gift to you, consider joining our mission by making a monthly gift. Learn more at kansascityonahill.org slash donate. Be your best and strive to be a saint.